address right now, so I'm not Caroline. Let's put our hands together to welcome Caroline to come and speak to us now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to, to see you all again. Um, so, yeah, this morning we were thinking about some of the barriers to receiving God's transforming power. And uh, this afternoon we're going to think about how we can receive God's power personally and how that can help us to bring transformation corporately in our families and our communities and the world at large. So uh, Alison is going to bring us the second part of the story from, the, the, from John's Gospel of the Woman at the Well. So thank you, Alison. So we carry on reading from John 4, starting at verse 27 to 42. And if you want to know what version I'm reading from, it's from the NIV, the International Version. So the title now of this part is The Disciples Rejoin Jesus. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought in food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months under harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you did not work for. Others had done the hard work, and you reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. Thank you. So this morning, in the first part of that story from John 4, we saw how the woman tried to put up some barriers to allowing Jesus getting close to her in her life and how Jesus gently and lovingly broke down her defences so that she was enabled to come to know him as her own Lord and Saviour. And in this next part of the story, we see that her personal encounter with Jesus led to her going back to her town to tell everybody what she'd learned, to tell everyone what she'd experienced. 
the, the passage says she left her water jar and uh, I don't know whether that would have been very valuable but possibly in her hurry to tell the people about Jesus she left that behind and went into the town to tell what Jesus had done for her. The jug, if you like, could symbolise that heavy physical burden that she'd been carrying uh, and the burden of her life that she'd been carrying that she left behind with Jesus uh, and uh, after she'd encountered him. But her inward and personal transformation led to the transformation of her town. Many of the people from the town came to believe in Jesus uh, because of her testimony and, as it said, not just because of what she said, but they came to listen to Jesus and came to know him for themselves. She was, if you like, the first missionary, wasn't she? Going back to tell what Jesus had done for her. And, uh, and the people of the town obviously saw a change in her that made them want to know Jesus too. And we see in this story that Jesus chooses the most unlikely of candidates. And he can use us too if we allow him to transform us and to use us for his purposes. A knowledge of who we are in Christ and a right relationship with him should lead us to being passionate about telling others about what God's done for us and a heart to bring about change and transformation in our world. So we're going to look in this session at transformation. Uh, and first of all, we're going to think about superficial transformation. And then we're going to think about our personal transformation and how that can lead on to corporate transformation. We're reminded in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, in the story of Samuel looking for a new king, that the law doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And it can be really easy for us to fall into the trap of, of being full of pride or self-absorbed. And especially in these days of social media, when we can share absolutely every detail of our lives with the whole world. Uh, you know, I, I, I never cease to be amazed that people think it's interesting to show pictures of their cups of coffee or their sandwich that they've had for lunch. Uh, people think that their lives are really fascinating, don't they? Or their Wordle score for the day. I think that's a, it's really interesting to think why that would be interesting. Uh, but we, we live in a sort of self-absorbed culture, don't we, where everybody thinks that they're the centre of their universe. There's a story of a preacher who was being introduced and given a very flowery introduction. And when the preacher stood up to present his message, he said, may the Lord forgive this man for his exaggeration and me for enjoying it so much. <laughs> <coughs> but a superficial uh, appearance of piety without inner personal transformation and outworking of that faith is meaningless to God. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day. He said, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by people. And I wonder if sometimes we, maybe unwittingly, try to impress God with our religious efforts. Maybe we think that by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and just willing ourselves to change and become better people, uh, we might be able to please or impress God. But we're reminded in the Bible, aren't we, that it's not by our own efforts or our own good works that we're saved. 
but it's through God's grace and mercy, through what Jesus has done. And we're saved not by good works, but for good works. A Sunday school teacher, speaking about how we're not saved by good works, asked her class, if I sold my house and my car and gave all the money to the church, would that get me to heaven? No, miss, they all answered. If I cleaned the church every day and mowed the grass and kept it all clean and tidy, would that get me into heaven? No, miss, all the children replied. If I was kind to animals and gave presents to all the children, would that get me into heaven? No, miss, they all replied. Well, how can I get into heaven then, she asked. And one little boy piped up, you've got to be dead, miss. <laughs> <coughs> We often spend a lot of time and effort trying to right the wrongs in our lives, don't we? And, the, and, and right the wrongs in society, which can be a good thing. But without an inward change of heart and the power of God working in individual lives, the change will always be superficial. No amount of good deeds or pulling ourselves up by our bootstrings will change people's hearts or change society. Only the power of Jesus working in people's lives can do that. If we don't get to the heart of personal transformation, it's like sticking a sticking plaster over a cancerous tumour and expecting to make it better. We have to get to the root of the problem, and ultimately that is the human heart, the individual human heart. So before we can think about how we can bring transformation to our society, to our communities, to our families, we need to think about our personal transformation. Jesus reminds us in the commandment in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, firstly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, leading to love your neighbour as you love yourself. Love for our neighbour starts with our own personal love and devotion to God. God seeks a relationship with each one of us through Jesus. And then through that, he transforms us. And through that transformation, we become agents of change in the world. Superficial transformation can lead to us being uh, a bit self-righteous or self-reliant if we believe uh, that uh, we can do it by ourselves. If we believe that we don't need Jesus, that we're just good enough by ourselves apart from him. But it's only when we follow Jesus and seek his heart and his compassion for the world that we can truly participate in his transforming love for the world. To be personally transformed, we need, first of all, to get into a right relationship with God. And I've mentioned that already today. Our first step of transformation is to recognise that God loves us and values us and wants to be in a relationship with us. And just in case there's anyone here who would like to accept Jesus into your life today and haven't done it yet, I'm just going to pause for a moment and I'm going to pray a prayer of commitment. And if you haven't asked Jesus into your life and you feel that you would like to do that today, then listen as I pray these words and make this prayer your own. So let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. 
I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever and transform me into the person you created me to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And if you're someone who's prayed that prayer for the first time today, then please tell me or one of the prayer team at the end of the session so that we can encourage you and pray with you. So if we've invited Jesus into our lives, how can we be transformed into the people that God wants us to be? Most of us recognise that we're not perfect, don't we? In fact, they say the closest that anyone comes to perfection is when you fill in a job application form. <laughs> and uh, as I said earlier, it's very easy to make mistakes, isn't it? Uh, one man told this story, and I love this story. He said, once I came upon this new tent standing in front of the paper shredder with a confused look on her face. I asked if she needed any help, and she said, yeah, how does this thing work? I took the papers from her hand and demonstrated how to work the shredder. She stood there for a moment with yet another confused expression, and she said, so where do the copies come out from? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus told his followers in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20 to make disciples of all people everywhere. He didn't say just make converts, but he said make disciples. It's wonderful when people give their lives to the Lord and become Christians, but those that bear fruit for him are the ones that go on to be disciples. Many people get to the point in their lives where they recognise their need to be saved, and have invited Jesus into their lives to forgive their sins and have the assurance that they're saved. But many Christians then don't move on to allow God to bring transformation into every area of their life. It's been said of many Christians in this country that their Christianity is life-enhancing and not life-changing. So what does transformation mean for us? At the moment that we accept for ourselves that Jesus died for us and rose again to give us new life, we become children of God and righteous in his sight. Our sins are forgiven and we become new creatures in Christ. John Wesley called this Christian perfection. But although everything is changed in the spiritual realm, you know as well as I do that we don't become perfect overnight. Before becoming a Christian, we may have had habits or addictions or unhealthy attitudes. We may have harboured bitterness or unforgiveness. We may have been living an immoral life or living in a selfish way. And once we become a Christian, we are saved, but many of those old habits and actions remain. Once somebody becomes a Christian, they often become more acutely aware of the issues and how far they are from God's standard. And that awareness is proof that God is working in their lives. So although we're perfect in our standing before God, we're forgiven. We're far from perfect in our actual thoughts and deeds. 
1 Peter 1.15 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Many scholars think that the, word, the Hebrew word for holiness used in the scriptures means separate or set apart. And as Christians, we're called to live differently, to become more like Jesus and reach our full potential in him. So in what ways can we be transformed? I'm just going to have a look at this slide now. I'm just going to cover four aspects of ways that we can be transformed. And there's probably a lot of others that we haven't got time to go into today. So the first one is freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. One of the ways in which our lives can be changed is by being set free from the past. Most people, when they become Christians, have some baggage or issues from the past and they need to deal with that if they want to grow in their faith. And particularly for somebody who becomes a Christian later in life, when they've had more time to collect baggage, there's often a lot more to deal with in their life and, and more things to get rid of. I'm often quite surprised when I meet people who've been Christians for many years, uh, but still seem resigned to living with all the baggage from their past and not interested in gaining their freedom in Christ. But for those who do pursue freedom, there's a real liberation and a reward in that. When I first became a Christian as a teenager, I had a lot of baggage with me from my childhood. And that affected the way that I lived and my attitudes, my perception towards other people and the way that I behaved. And over the years, as I've sought freedom from those chains, uh, I'm thankful to say that through the prayers of many people and God's help and strength, he's gradually broken those chains and set me free from that baggage. But as I said to you earlier, I really wanted to be free. And I wonder what baggage you carry with you from your past that you want to be free from. I already mentioned some of those things when we talked about hindrances earlier, negative thinking, negative words spoken over you, bitterness, unforgiveness, regret, disappointment, lack of self-worth, fear, addictions and compulsions, negative behaviour patterns, so many things that we can carry with us that Jesus wants to set us free from. Jesus has come to set us free and it's one of the wonderful gifts that he gives to his children. Whatever has happened to us in our past, we don't have to let that past define us because God has a, a new future for us and he can take those things from us and set us free. The second way that we can be transformed is through healing. And there are lots of different aspects to healing. And uh, we haven't got time to go into all of it in depth. But many of us may need healing. It might be physical healing or emotional or spiritual healing. And part of being transformed is experiencing that, that healing that Jesus gives. Part of the kingdom work of Jesus is bringing healing and release into every part of our lives. And sometimes when we pray for people, uh, we might not see necessarily signs of physical healing, though many times 
when I've prayed for people, God has brought healing, physical healing as well. And sometimes that comes about through the intervention of medical, the medical profession. Uh, and we thank God for that, don't we? We thank God for our medical profession. But sometimes God brings about supernatural healing. And, it's really, and we believe that that is part of God's kingdom work. And we pray for that if people desire it. But even if somebody is not physically healed, we know that Jesus can bring about emotional and spiritual healing and release, which often is a greater healing in people's lives. The third thing, the third way in which we can be transformed is through holiness. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Sometimes when we think of somebody who's holy, we perhaps have a negative image of that. We might think of someone who's miserable and thin and lifeless. Uh, people uh, with wearing a halo, maybe, staring out of a stained glass window. And the media often portray Christians or holiness as being something really boring or old-fashioned or irrelevant. And partly because of that portrayal, we often imagine that to be holy means that God wants us to be unhappy and as weird as possible, uh, and that attaining holiness is a really painful and rigorous process. But becoming holy means that we just seek to become more like Jesus in our lifestyle and our attitudes. And when we look at the life of Jesus, he certainly wasn't unhappy or weird. When we read about the example of Jesus in the Bible, we see a man who wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, who mixed with people from all walks of life, who was practical and loving and attracted people to him. If Jesus had been a bit of an old misery, the children wouldn't have certainly wanted to have hung around him, and he wouldn't have got invited to many parties. Uh, but Jesus must have been a really fun person to be with uh, and exciting to follow around. And in order to become more like Jesus, we must want to change. And then we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. Sometimes there'll be dramatic changes and sometimes the change will be more gradual. Uh, once many years ago, we went for a walk. And uh, you've probably done this where you don't realise it's going to be muddy. And then as you walk, you get muddier and muddier as you go, as you go along. And then it got to the point where we were so muddy that one more bit of mud didn't make any difference because we were as muddy as we could possibly be. And, uh, and uh, when your clothes are clean, you notice one little splash, don't you, of mud. But once you're covered in mud, you don't notice any more mud or any more dirt. And uh, as soon as we become a Christian, God begins to clean us up. So to begin with, when we're all muddy with sin, as it were, we might not notice some of those hidden sins in our lives because there might be more obvious problems to sort out. So if somebody's been a murderer, for example, before they become a Christian, hopefully they'll immediately stop murdering people as soon as they become a Christian. Uh, but, uh, but there might be other more subtle areas where God needs to change someone's life. And as we go on in our Christian walk, then God can begin to deal with some of those perhaps smaller issues uh, that as we become cleaner, 
those little splashes show up a little bit more as we go through. As we go through our Christian life, God might need to deal with some of our more hidden attitudes and habits that perhaps won't be obvious to everybody else, but that he will chip away at in our own lives. A story is told of an audience waiting for a brilliant pianist to come out onto the stage. And then to everyone's embarrassment, a small boy wandered up onto the stage and began to bang out some rough notes on the, on the big piano. And suddenly the maestro appeared in the wings and made his way over to where the boy was plonking on this piano. And standing behind him as he banged away tunelessly, uh, the maestro, the, the pianist, began to weave a melody around the notes that the little boy was playing and took his notes up into the bigger tune and made it into something beautiful. And then, and then when they'd finished, uh, the maestro led the little boy away from the piano and they took a bow together to the audience's applause. And the little boy went back to his seat, not embarrassed because he hadn't been made to look foolish. And in the same way, Jesus can take all those harsh and discordant notes in our lives, those times when we make mistakes, when we do stupid things, when we say stupid things, uh, when we fall back into some sin that we thought we'd dealt with, and he can weave his purposes around them. He can play those beautiful melodies around our notes and make it into something beautiful that brings glory to him. So we need to seek to be holy, to become more like Jesus. And the fourth thing is submission. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. And part of our complete transformation means allowing Jesus to have control or lordship of every area of our lives. Discipleship means that we watch and we learn from our master. It means that as Christians, we don't have a set of rigid rules and regulations to follow, but we do have a master to follow, a master who is our guide in our day-to-day -day lives. We are accountable to someone who loves us deeply and always has our best interests at heart. And being sub submissive to Jesus is one of those great paradoxes in the Christian life that it's only by submitting completely to his will that we find true freedom in our lives and complete joy and satisfaction. There's been a lot of times in my life when God has asked me to do something and I've really not wanted to do it. Um, moving away from Bedford, when Mark was called to be a minister, was one of them. But also when we went overseas and went to Guyana, I really didn't want to go and live overseas, uh, but we both really felt that it was what God wanted us to do, and we felt that we had to be obedient to God's call. <coughs> and right up to even when we were getting on the plane, I was saying, oh, Lord, please don't make me go. I don't want to leave. And, um, but we had to do it. We had to be obedient um, to what God was calling us to do. And there's been loads of times like that in small and big ways. Where, I've not, where God's asked me to do something and I've really had to submit. You know, in the Methodist church, we say the covenant prayer every year at the beginning of the year, which is like a promise for, to do whatever God wants. And uh, there are often times in the year where I think, oh, I wish I'd not prayed that prayer now because uh, I don't want to do this, but I've, I've made a commitment now. So uh, we have to be submissive to God and make him Lord of our lives. 
there's a story of a family who decided to invite Jesus to come and live with them. And he moved in, and for a few days, everything went really well. And then one evening during dinner, the father realised how bitchy the conversation was over the dinner table as they began to talk about people in the church or other family members. And uh, as the family was sharing jokes and, uh, and, and laughing about people, he realised that they conversation was often at the expense of others and he began to feel really uncomfortable with Jesus sitting there at the table so he started to kick people under the table to try and make them stop and later that evening the parents decided to have a word with Jesus and they said look don't join us for meals everything else is fine but don't join us at mealtimes so a few days went by and uh, mealtimes got back to normal and then Saturday night came around and they decided they were going to watch a movie and uh, the children asked to see a film that everyone else in the class had seen, apparently, and the parents gave in. But during the film, the mother began to feel really uncomfortable about some of the scenes of violence, the language, the way that promiscuity was glamorised. And with Jesus sitting there, she felt really awkward. So uh, she switched the film off and sent the children to their rooms. And uh, mum and dad had a bit of an argument, but quietly, so Jesus couldn't hear. And uh, they decided that they were going to say to Jesus, look, um, don't join us while we're watching TV, okay? Everything else is fine, but don't come, don't be in the room when we're watching TV. So gradually as time went by, Jesus became excluded from more and more of the things that they did in their family until eventually the parents said, to Jesus, look, it's been really lovely having you living with us, uh, but it's a bit overcrowded, so we've found you somewhere else to live where it's a bit quieter, uh, but we promise that we'll come and visit you once a week, maybe on a Sunday morning. <laughs> if we want our Christianity to be life-changing and not life-enhancing, we might need to be set free from some of the baggage from the past. We might need God to transform some areas of our lives that are not in accordance with his word and his purposes and submit to the lordship of Jesus, not just on a Sunday morning, uh, but every moment of every day in our lives so that we remove that distinction between the sacred and the secular. So once we allow Jesus to transform our lives personally, then we can begin to look at corporate transformation Transformed individual lives lead naturally to transformation in families, in relationships, in communities, in the way we treat other people, in the way we treat creation around us, and ultimately to the world at large as that, those ripples of God's love spread further and further. Sometimes we can be, feel a bit negative about the church and its influence on the world. And I know that there have been things that the church has done that have not been good and not in line with God's plan. And often the media love to portray the church in its negative uh, perspective. But the church has made more changes on earth for good than any other movement or force in history. And we need to encourage ourselves with some of the history and some of the things that we've been involved in uh, across the centuries. We, uh, I, I don't know if this is sad or not, but we record songs of praise every Sunday and always watch it at some point. And uh, I'm always, we absolutely love watching it because some weeks it's better than others. But uh, there's usually always some amazing testimonies of people doing something amazing for God. And it just astounds us to see 
what you know what imaginative things people are doing for the Lord and using their gifts for the Lord and we love seeing all the different varied congregations of ages and backgrounds and it's just wonderful to see the church represented and styles of music is just fantastic and uh, it's so inspiring just to see what ordinary Christians are doing day by day across this nation. In 2005 the Prime Minister at the time Tony Blair said Churches are among the most formidable campaigning organisations in history and faith communities have always played a significant role in social action in Britain, in education, in welfare, in support for so many of the most vulnerable and needy in our society. I had the privilege a couple of years of going to uh, the Open Doors World Watch List launch at the Houses of Parliament. Um, and I'm pointing that way, but I've lost my bearings. I can't remember where it is. Um, and uh, every year they launch, they, they launch their list of the 20 countries where persecution of Christians is the worst. And they launch it in the presence of parliamentarians. So they invite MPs and their aides to come to hear the stories. And, uh, and you know, I was at one of them, and one of the MPs said that... Um, MPs of all parties and of all faith and none recognise how amazing the church is in this country and all the work that the church does uh, that, uh, you know, that perhaps wouldn't get done if the church wasn't there. And it's just really encouraging to hear those positive stories sometimes. Christianity has shaped every area of our lives and its influence is so huge we often take it for granted. Uh, but there's still obviously a lot to be done in our world uh, and a lot of people who need to discover God's love for them. But a life in the hands of Jesus, transformed and restored to wholeness by the power of the Holy Spirit, leads to community transformation as people seek to bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And there are hundreds of examples of this and you can get any number of books telling you the stories of Christians whose lives have been changed and then who've gone on to transform and make a difference in the world. You know, in the story of early Methodism, that Wesley revival, it was uh, individual lives that were being transformed by the gospel that in turn made that Methodist movement become a transformational force in this nation. We had the privilege of ministering in Uganda and uh, we visited a, a village where... There was an alcoholic woman who sold alcohol from her house, which was a little hut in this village. And she became a Christian and stopped selling alcohol. And the other people in the village started to wonder what was going on. Uh, and they started to give up drinking. And then they saw the change in her life. And then they wanted to become Christians too and to know Jesus for themselves. And, and the village was completely transformed. And we had the privilege of seeing uh, the birth of a church in that village that was transformed because of this one woman whose life was transformed. You, you'll find this story on YouTube, but uh, we watched a video. There used to be a series of transformation videos uh, in, the, in the days of videos, um, but it's on YouTube now about a town in Guatemala called Almalonga. And uh, it was a small town with four prisons, and it was riddled with alcoholism and addiction and domestic violence and crime and poverty. Uh, and then in 1974-75, the local pastor gathered people to intercede for the town. 
and they began, it began a revival in the town where more and more people started to become Christians. And they really focused on intercession and spiritual warfare and evangelism, and the town completely changed. And as people's lives were transformed, the crime rates started to drop and people left behind the alcoholism and the violence. And in 1989, the final jail closed in the town because the crime had stopped completely. And uh, they turned the jail into a hall of honour, which they used for celebrations because uh, it became a positive thing instead of a negative thing. And people started to work the land again. And uh, if you watch the video, it's wonderful to watch because they started to produce these amazing crops and giant carrots and things that uh, God was really blessing them in, in every area. And their family life improved uh, and uh, domestic violence stopped. The women's roles became more elevated. Uh, and it was, it was just an amazing story of transformation, how individuals' lives completely transformed the community. It's called Almalonga in, in Guatemala, so look it up on YouTube. And you don't have to look far for stories like that, do you? In fact, we could probably go around this hall and you could probably tell me stories from your own life of ways that God's power has changed you and used you to transform society around you. Being a Christian is not about belonging to a nice little cosy club or just sharing an interest with other like-minded people. Uh, but it's about being a powerhouse for God to work through us into his world. Someone said that the church is the only organisation that exists for the benefit of its non-members. And at the heart, the church is the body of Christ. Individual lives transformed by God that go on to bring transformation in their society, showing God's love and power to a world that's so much in need. And as we experience that wholeness that Jesus offers, we're to carry his love and his justice, his power, his message of transforming love into the world in small ways, but sometimes in big ways too. And as God flows through us, we are the vessels that he uses to do that. And so will you allow God to transform you from the inside out? Will you allow him to make you more like Jesus? Will you allow him to work through you to show his love to others in the world? We're going to be having a time of worship now, uh, but I'm just going to close this part with some prayer. Uh, and there will be time, obviously, at the end for you to come forward for prayer uh, ministry. But I wonder what God might be saying to you today. I wonder what God said to you, even through this last session. Are there ways in which you're living a superficial life? Are you trusting in Jesus completely for your salvation and your transformation? Do you know the transforming power of God in your own life? Have you received his forgiveness and power? Do you want to allow the Holy Spirit to change you? and make you more like Jesus, to get rid of the baggage and set you free? Do you want to be a vessel for God's love in your family, in your community, in, in your nation? Do you need to experience the healing touch of Jesus today, physically or emotionally or spiritually? Do you need a fresh revelation of how valuable you are to God today? Do you need freedom 
from the things that have kept you bound? Do you need forgiveness for the things that have been holding you back that are not in line with God's will for your life? Are there areas of your life that you want to submit to the Lordship of Jesus today? Whatever your need today, God is powerful. Jesus can come and break every chain and touch you and transform your life and make you a blessing to others. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that nothing is impossible to you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to settle for a boring or apathetic life. Thank you that we don't have to carry the baggage and the weight of the past. Thank you that you have come to bring us life in abundance, life in all its fullness, that you want each one of us to have an adventure with you, to follow you and all the fun that you have for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for each person here as we worship now and as we come to you in prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that, Lord, you would give us that hunger to want to change, to want to be well, that hunger to know you more, to be fully committed to you. We want our Christianity to be life-changing and not just life-enhancing. And Lord, we pray that you would make each one of us a vessel of your love and power to all those that we meet, even as we leave here and go home tonight, Lord. Just let your power and your love shine through us to everyone we meet. So do your amazing, your powerful work in us, we pray. In your name and for your glory, we ask it. Amen.